Good to be back with everyone today. It feels really good to be back in church today. I've not been in church uh, much at all this summer. I spent the summer doing a fairly uh, intensive and time-consuming internship that's required as part of a fellowship for Unitarian Universalist ministerial credentialing um, called clinical pastoral education, which is basically like a unit of chaplaincy training. Um, so I spent my summer at the uh, inpatient unit of Alive Hospice, uh, the Nashville inpatient unit, um, working as a, a student hospice chaplain this summer, um, which was a really wonderful and beautiful experience. Didn't leave a lot of time for my own spiritual development and being in church, so I'm uh, really grateful to be here today. Uh, and I realized that the, I don't think that the title of my sermon reflects that one of the things I'm going to be doing today is reflecting on my experience as a hospice chaplain this summer. and. Uh, what I thought my Unitarian Universalist faith kind of taught me and uh, gave me to bring during that experience. Um, so just letting you know if that's something that's kind of hitting close to home right now uh, or feels kind of heavy, I am going to be talking about end-of-life stuff uh, today. So do what you need to do to take care of yourselves uh, during this service. I uh, absolutely understand, but I'm very happy to be back and share a little bit of this experience with you all this morning. Um, so one of the things during this uh, experience, kind of as a matter of paperwork and Medicare regulations, is I was supposed to find out, I went into every patient's room who was admitted to the inpatient hospice and was supposed to find out if they had a particular religious tradition that they were affiliated with. Um, if they were members of a church, a specific church, I would contact their minister or the lay people in charge of pastoral care for the congregation. If they were Catholic, for example, I would call the Nashville Diocese and could get a priest out to do um, uh, last rites, anointing of the sick, that kind of thing. Um, so it was a practical question, but it was sometimes kind of awkward to just barge into someone's room and be like, hi, what's your faith tradition? Um, so I would try and approach it in kind of a more conversational way that didn't imply judgment or didn't seem like I was just another person there to fill out more paperwork. Um, sometimes I accomplished this kind of conversational mode better than others. I had uh, one particular patient who explained to me that they had been raised in a Christian tradition that they'd left behind. Uh, they'd studied Buddhism for a bit and mostly identified as spiritual. I think they were slightly perturbed by the question, so they turned it around on me. Well, what tradition was I a part of, they wanted to know. And I tried to deflect because I was not there as a Unitarian Universalist. Um, so I tried to deflect. I was like, you know, I work for hospice. I'm not here with a specific church. Um, I'm here to care for everyone, regardless of your faith background. But they persisted. They're like, you're a chaplain. You must have a faith tradition. Um, and being new to this, I wasn't that good at continually deflecting. Uh, so I finally relented. I said, I'm a Unitarian Universalist. I haven't heard of that. What is it? So I gave my best elevator speech, which I'm sure as many of you know is not always an easy thing to do <laughs> as a UU. And after I finished, um, the patient paused for a minute. And then with a mix of real earnestness, but also kind of knowing humor, said, Sounds like my kind of thing. A shame it took me dying to learn about it. <laughs> we are not, I admit it to them, always that great at advertising. <laughs> but I enjoyed being able to share a little bit of uh, my tradition and myself with uh, that patient in their, in their last days. Um, so I had a lot of really meaningful and sometimes kind of humorous experiences, which I've learned it's also OK to laugh at a place like that. Um, I was there for just 10 weeks, so I won't pretend that I'm now an expert in death or dying or the existential questions that we face at the end of life. 
I worked alongside seasoned chaplains and caring nurses who had been working at end-of-life care for decades. And they have stories that are heartbreaking and heartwarming, sometimes really strange, um, humorous more often than you might expect, uh, and that would make even the most scientifically minded among us admit that there is much about this existence and the next that cannot be explained. Um, I had a medical doctor tell me, opening the window, that's a real thing. It does really work when someone is having a hard time letting go. So it was that kind of experience. Um, really, really fascinating. But you know, my short summer there does not compare to their wisdom and experience. But that doesn't mean that it was without insights. Uh, when people have asked me what I learned, I've been saying that I learned to take death less seriously and grief more seriously. But one of the questions I had to answer as part of the kind of classroom learning and vocational formation that was associated with the summer program was what I learned about my own faith, my own theology, and my own tradition through this clinical experience. And that question actually felt a lot more complicated. And I'll admit, I'll be honest with all of you, that the first days of the internship, my faith felt extremely flimsy. What did I have to offer these patients and their loved ones as they approached the last hours of their lives? It would have been really easy to offer promises of streets of gold, reunions with loved ones who had passed before, an end to suffering and the hope of a glory to come, a place in one of the many rooms in God's house. And if that was their theology, I respected it and invited them to share it with me. I read them scripture to remind them of these promises that formed the bedrock of their faith and prayed alongside them that they would be welcomed home by their savior. And it was really meaningful to accompany people in that way and I was moved by the deep faith of many of the patients and families I encountered. But it was not something that I would or could offer to people who didn't already believe that. As a chaplain, I was there to accompany, not to evangelize, and I would have not I wouldn't have done that anyway as a UU. You know, I came to this faith, to Unitarian Universalism, because of a promise my minister made to me from the pulpit that ours was a faith focused on the here and now, not the by and by. And at the time, that was the faith I needed when I first walked through the doors of a UU church. A faith focused on the here and now, not the by and by. But this summer, I had to find what that faith meant to me as I accompanied people on the threshold between the two. And I think there are a lot of ways to answer that question, and I would love to hear your own answers about what you think Unitarian Universalism has to offer at the end of life, should you feel comfortable sharing those with me after the service. But the one thing I found that I clung to this summer, the greatest gift I think my Unitarian Universalist faith had to offer to my patients in the last moments of their life, was an unwavering commitment to our fourth principle, a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Up until the moments they took their last breath, and even after, my faith helped me respect my patients' spiritual journeys. I think our spiritual journeys are sacred things, perhaps the most sacred thing. I mean, our freedom to make meaning out of our own lives, to choose how we commune with that which is holy, and to define for ourselves what we believe is divine, this quest for meaning, this desire to answer questions about why we're here and where we're going, I think is a big part of what makes us human. So respecting that journey feels like a fundamental way 
that we honor the inherent worth and dignity of every person. There is so much that is out of a person's control when they reach the end of their lives. But deciding how they make meaning or not out of that experience is perhaps the final piece of autonomy. Respecting and honoring that is a core principle of our faith and was a guiding light for me as I cared for patients this summer. And sometimes that looked really practical and kind of very clear cut. For example, helping ensure people's religious preferences were honored when it came to healthcare decisions. So one of the things all of the summer chaplain interns did was we received education about how to support patients who are Jehovah's Witnesses and do not receive blood transfusions on religious grounds, right? So making sure that people's decisions like that were respected. Or maybe, you know, ensuring that a Hindu patient had a vegetarian meal available to them or Jewish patients were able to keep kosher while in a healthcare facility, those kinds of really practical things. But other times respecting the spiritual autonomy was much less clear cut. Sometimes it just meant listening to a patient's story or bearing witness as they raged at God or wrestled with difficult questions. Sometimes it simply entailed asking what name for God they'd like me to use when I prayed with them. But the most difficult times for me were when it meant running interference with families. You know, there were a few patients who had no interest whatsoever in talking to me. They did not want me in their room, which was a valid and respected response. Except some of these patients had family members who desperately wanted them to talk to me. They wanted them to make peace with God, receive last rites, accept Jesus into their hearts, ask for forgiveness, offer forgiveness for any number of sins or traumas or generational pains. And I would have to kindly and compassionately explain to these family members that I could not do that. That every patient had the absolute right to refuse to talk to me. And that my job was not family therapy or religious conversion. My job was to meet people where they were on their spiritual journey and come alongside them. And sometimes that meant leaving their rooms. Sometimes the best way I could meet a patient's needs was by allowing them to exercise the autonomy to refuse spiritual care. And this always felt like the right decision. It felt like the right thing to do. And I took pride in protecting the spiritual autonomy of the patients I was there to serve. And I think on at least one occasion, I helped prevent an extremely unwanted attempt at deathbed evangelizing. It was right, but it was not easy. Because the wants and needs of those family members matter too. They were scared and hurting and grieving, and they were on spiritual journeys of their own that also deserved my compassion and my respect. And I suspect this might hit home for some folks here. I'm guessing many of us, like me, weren't raised UU, and that many of us might be on a spiritual journey that looks quite different from that of our family members. And we are in the South, so I'm guessing most of us have friends and coworkers and neighbors who are Baptist or Methodist or Church of Christ. We might be carrying wounds from times when our own search for truth and meaning wasn't respected by people that we love. Or maybe we worry about causing loved ones pain or anguish because the religious truths we found don't line up with theirs. And that's not an easy place to find oneself and I don't have easy answers for how to proceed when that pain and conflict arises. But I do think that working to untangle those knots is actually part of what it means to practice a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. 
because this journey we are on is not a solitary one. I strove to protect my patient's spiritual autonomy, but the truth of it is, we are not autonomous human beings. Our search for truth and meaning is interconnected with others' search for truth and meaning. It's influenced by our families of origin, our friends, our communities, our education, and our lived experiences. I believe in sermons past, you've all heard me quote Ram Das, his famous assertion that we're all just walking each other home. And I think one thing that's so powerful about this statement is the mutuality that's implied in it. We are all walking each other home. Our journeys are our own, but we have to figure out how to walk them alongside each other. And sometimes that might mean that we swerve into each other's paths or trip each other up or have to take a detour or pause our own journey to help our neighbor at a difficult crossing. But I think those moments too are part of the searching and are rife with meaning. Other people's searching affects our own and our own searching impacts other people. Recognizing this, I believe, is part of what is necessary to ensure the search is not just free, but also responsible. I love what UU Reverend Paige Getty has to say about our fourth principle. She writes, as responsible religious seekers, we recognize that we are privileged to be free, to have resources to pursue life beyond mere survival, to continually search for truth and meaning, to exist beyond bonds of dogma and oppression, and to wrestle freely with truth and meaning as they evolve. But this privilege calls us not to be isolated and self-centered, believing that our single perspective trumps all others, but rather to be humble, to be open to the great mysteries of truth and meaning that life offers. And those mysteries may speak to us through our own intuition and experience, but also through tradition, community, conflict, nature, and relationships. As a faith tradition, Unitarian Universalism makes sacred the right and responsibility to engage in this free and responsible quest as an act of religious devotion. Institutionally, we have left open the question of what truth and meaning are, acknowledging that mindful people will, in every age, discover new insights. I know that was long, but if it's okay, I'm gonna read it one more time because I think if you take nothing else away from the sermon today, that quote is more than enough. That quote is plenty to meditate on for probably a lifetime. <laughs> so bear with me, I'm gonna read it one more time because I think it's a really beautiful encapsulation of our fourth principle. So this is Reverend Paige Getty. She says, as responsible religious seekers, we recognize that we are privileged to be free to have resources to pursue life beyond mere survival, to continually search for truth and meaning, to exist beyond bonds of dogma and oppression, and to wrestle freely with truth and meaning as they evolve. But that privilege calls us not to be isolated and self-centered, believing that our single perspective trumps all others, but rather to be humble, to be open to the great mysteries of truth and meaning that life offers. And those mysteries may speak to us through our own intuition and experience, but also through tradition, community, conflict, nature, and relationships. As a faith tradition, Unitarian Universalism makes sacred the right and responsibility to engage in this free and responsible quest as an act of religious devotion. 
Institutionally, we have left open the question of what truth and meaning are, acknowledging that mindful people will, in every age, discover new insights. Isn't that so great? <laughs> I love this idea that mystery speaks to us through community and conflict. And those moments of familial conflict that I saw at the hospice facility this summer could be really hard to bear witness to. But now I'm wondering, what if I saw those moments as moments where the great mystery was trying to break in, trying to loosen something or soften something or reveal something about love or forgiveness or an image of the divine big enough to hold all of those questions and convictions and grief in those hospice rooms? You know, respecting my patient's spiritual autonomy, holding their own journey as fully theirs and deeply sacred, meant also respecting all of the sources of truth and sites of sacred revelation that were present for them to draw from on this journey. It wasn't my job to decide when and where mystery was speaking to them. It was my job to protect the time and space they needed to listen to it. So I recognize a sermon focused on death with a dash of familial religious conflict is not the cheeriest and maybe not most appropriate for where our energies are on these last hazy days of summer. But I tell you all of this for two reasons. One is a reminder of how powerful our principles are and how much our sometimes amorphous, often hard to explain in just a few sentences faith has to offer even in the most difficult times. Like that fourth principle is awesome. <laughs> Seriously, a religious community that holds as deeply sacred each person's search for truth and meaning, a faith that sees that quest in and of itself, that sees that act of even asking those questions as an act of religious devotion, that is powerful, life-giving, liberatory stuff. So celebrate it and share it because as it turns out, you know, as I learned from that patient I mentioned earlier, we aren't always, we don't always do a good job of it sharing it part. <laughs> so celebrate that and share it. But the second reason is because I think recognizing how important this principle is near death will help us make the most of it while we're still alive. How we make meaning of our lives is one of the very last things we will have control over in our life. And yes, our spiritual autonomy is sacred, but what good is that freedom, that autonomy, if we aren't using it to explore all of the places where the spirit is speaking to us? All possible sites of revelation in service of getting a little closer to the truth. Even if we know we will never fully grasp that truth in this lifetime, and even if trying to grasp for those truths is sometimes uncomfortable or involves hard questions and hard conversations. So I know y'all know a favorite singer of mine is Dar Williams. I've preached off of a Dar Williams song here before. Um, and I love her song, After All. She has a line in there where she says, we will push on into that mystery and it will push right back, but there are worse things than that. So friends, push into that mystery and let it push back. As Reverend Paige Getty says, see the fourth principle as an invitation to be humble, to be open to the great mysteries of truth and meaning that life offers. And remember that those mysteries may speak to us through our own intuition and experience, but also through tradition, community, conflict, nature, and relationship. This invitation into humility, 
community, and mutuality is a really beautiful paradox of the fourth principle. When you respect someone else's search for truth and meaning, when you hold their journey sacred, you might be blessed with new wisdom or revelation for your own. I'd like to end today by offering you a blessing. And at the hospice facility where I worked, when a patient passed away, we would do something called a walkout when the funeral home arrived. The staff and any of the patient's family who were still present would accompany the body to the back door and have a brief moment of prayer or ritual. And for patients who did not have a particular faith tradition or a specific prayer that they wanted read, I would read A Blessing for the Dying, a reading by Michelle Buhait that I found on the UUA's worship web resource. And this was a lot of uh, patients and families and staff found this uh, a very, very meaningful blessing. Um, so I offer it to you today, but modified as a kind of blessing for the living that I hope will guide you on your own free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Friends, I bless you on your journey. I honor and celebrate this life that is yours, the lives you've touched and will continue to touch, the lives that have touched and will continue to touch your own, and the legacy you will leave. Release old wounds and regrets, forgive and allow yourself to be forgiven. Cherish this life we share, the life that is larger than us. Out of mystery we are born, and mystery receives us when we die. With sorrow and gratitude for all that has been and all that will be, I bless you on your journey. May it be so, and amen.